Let me encourage you to take your copy of God's Word and go to uh, Luke's Gospel in the second chapter. If you're using one of the Bibles provided for you there in the seats, it's page 857. We've been going through the Christmas Advent series that we've uh, called the Geography of Christmas. And we've looked at a few different cities thus far. Uh, First of all, we looked at the city of Nazareth, and we saw how that the gospel is uh, for the humble. And then we looked at the city of uh, Bethlehem last week, and we saw how the gospel is for the poor. And today, what we're going to be looking at, we're going to be looking at some of the events that happened in the city of Jerusalem, and we're going to see how the gospel is for the promised. Now, this idea of promises are pretty prevalent, particularly around this time of year. Uh, Parents often uh, try to bribe their children with good behavior uh, and good behavior and say, you know, if you be good, we promise to get you whatever uh, for Christmas. Promises are very important in our lives. In fact, much of relationships that we have are built upon promises. I have a ring on my, my left finger right here that is a reminder of a promise that I have made um, 16 and a half years ago or so that I made to my wife that I would be committed to her and faithful to her. She wears a ring in her finger uh, reminding her of the same promise. Our relationship is built upon trust on the promise that we are going to keep our word to each other. And we're going to be open and transparent with each other. You know, the vows talk about in sickness and in health, uh, for better, for worse. Um, our wedding was a little bit unique in the fact that uh, because of my wife's uh, uh, first language being French, uh, there was a, a bilingual aspect to our marriage. And so uh, I only understood about half of what was said in the, in the ceremony there during the vows or, or during the challenge and stuff. And so I always say that... Um, Sometimes I wonder if my wife snuck in a couple promises that I'm supposed to keep that I know nothing of because they were in a different language when they were given. Nonetheless, uh, promises are important, and it is very important this time of year, and it's important to understand how promises affect your everyday life. And so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read this first few verses of Luke chapter 2, starting verse 22. Um, Some of the text that we're going to look at was already read in the Advent reading, and so I'm not going to read through the whole text, but our text, if you're taking notes, would be, it would be Luke chapter 2, verse 22, all the way down to um, verse 38. And so, but for sake of time, I'm just going to go through the first couple verses here, read them because the others have already been read. Verse 22 says, and when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him, this is, we're talking about Mary and Joseph bringing Jesus up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And now Luke, he inserts this little clarification point here, and he says, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And so they went to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And then it goes on to talk about Simeon that we've already talked about. So what I want to do today is I want to talk about a couple of realities about God's promises, if I can, in the next few minutes together. But before I do that, let me, excuse me, 
Let me just uh, pause and ask God's blessing on our time. Uh, Whenever I stand and have God's word and I want to teach God's word, I want to make sure that we're depending on God and his spirit for that. So let's pray. Father, I I want to pause now and ask that everything we do now and everything that I say now would be true to your word. Lord, these people, um, they didn't come to hear me. Um, I have nothing of myself that would help them. But what they have come for is they come for Jesus Christ and, and his word. And Lord, for whatever reason, you have given me the, the incredible honor and privilege to stand now and talk about your word to them. And Lord, I pray that your spirit use this text and minister to my soul, continue to use it to minister to my soul as you already have. And I pray that you'd use it to minister to these people here. And we're given over time, and they've come together, and we're sitting down together, and we're, we're trying to remove distractions now. By your spirit, we're trying to do that. And I pray that what is said now would be faithful to your text, and it would be clear and would be beneficial for your namesake and for your glory and honor. So in these next few minutes, I just pray that I communicate in a way that's helpful and clear, in a way that points people to Jesus, because he is who we need. And we love you, and we're so grateful for the word that we have that we can go back to at any time. In Christ's name we do pray, amen. A couple realities. First, I only have two this morning. The first reality about God's promises is this, is that we live in the arena of God's promises, okay? We are currently living in the arena of God's promises, and it's always been that way. Since God set up the world, he has put it in the framework of his promises, of his word, of his, what he has given to his creation. You think back even into the Garden of Eden. Way back in the Garden of Eden, you remember that there was a time where when he created the world and he created the garden, he created man, and he created woman, and he says you can eat of any tree, any tree you can have of this, of this beautiful garden you can have, but there's this one tree. I'm going to ask you, please, you cannot, you cannot eat of this one tree because if you eat of this tree... He says, in the day that you eat of the tree, you will surely die. He says, death is going to come into the world if this happens, so don't eat of that tree. Well, you and I both know how the story unfolds. We know that Eve and then Adam ate of that tree, and there was a disobedience there, and so there was a sin there, and so that caused then God having to keep his word, okay? And so that death came into the world because God is holy, and he has to deal with sin, and, and, but he didn't leave it there in his mercy, even from that day, from the beginning there, he showed his mercy because if you remember, as I just quoted, he says, in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. But they didn't die that day. They began to die that day. It's also in that chapter, in Genesis chapter three, that we find the first mention, if you will, of the gospel. You would see that there's a promise given that, that, that God gives to Adam and Eve, and he says that there will be someone that will come from the seed of the woman who will crush the serpent. And of course, he's referring to Jesus, right? And so we have this promise, even from the beginning. Remember Abraham? He was promised, he was told by God, he says, you will be the father of many nations. There was a problem, though. He didn't have any kids. And he was old. He was really old. But he was faithful. 
The Bible says that Abraham was justified by his faith. And then you know the story. Some of you know the story. Some of you will remember that, that Abraham then in his old age and Sarah, his wife, in her old age was given a son. But then it, did, it got even worse. God then told him, let's go sacrifice that son. It's just a shocking thing. Why would God even, even, even say to do that? Again, it was pointing to what Jesus would do. Abraham was faithful, and of course, God didn't allow him to sacrifice it. That wasn't the point. But we see that he was living in that promise, and of course, the nations did come through Abraham. We can consider even someone like Noah or David, and there was promises given then that to them that we currently even live under today. And so it has always been the case that the world that you live in, the world that I live in today, right now, this is the arena, if you will, of God's promises, This is the arena of God saying, this is how it's going to work, and I'm going to make the rules here, and this is how we we operate in those rules. This is the reason why Mary and Joseph were even in the temple is because they were within the promises of God. We saw in the text here, we saw that they came according to the law of Moses, Twice in the text that I just read it a minute ago, we talk about that the, it was the law that motivated them to be there. And so Mary and Joseph and Jesus in our text this morning, the reason why they're even in Jerusalem is because they were clinging to the promises of God. And Mary, after having a child, was considered ceremonially unclean, and so she had to go through the purification process. And then there was an offering that was given, and we can get a hint here at the, the poverty of Mary and Joseph at this point because of the type of sacrifice that they were given that they gave that they gave the two turtle doves and they didn't give the lamb. Leviticus makes provision for people who didn't ha- have the means to give a lamb for their sacrifice, and so it's just two turtle doves. And it's interesting, one of those was for a sin offering. And so Mary, in our text here, is giving a, a sin offering, an offering for forgiveness of her sins. And Joseph is doing the same thing. And so they are clear in the temple this morning in our text here because they're clinging to the promises of God of saying that if we do this, if we obey God, our sins will be forgiven. God has set up a system in the Old Testament, of course, that pointed to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ. But he says if you do this, you do this time and time again, you will have the forgiveness of God. Your sins will be atoned for. And so Mary and Joseph and Jesus in this scene right now in Jerusalem, they're in the arena of God's promises. They're looking for the forgiveness. They're looking for cleanliness before God. They're looking for continual acceptance before God, following what God has said, following the means by which God has prescribed. And not only that in our text, and we heard it read, Amanda, when she read the Advent reading earlier, she talked about Simeon and Anna. They too were clinging to the promises of God, right? Simeon had said, he said this, it says that he was a devout man and righteous, waiting for the consolation of Israel, Verse 26, it said it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, before the Messiah. Christ is not the last name of Jesus. It means Messiah. And so what Simeon here had been promised, he says that you, even though you're old, you will not die until you see the Messiah who is going to come into the world. He was clinging to that. 
Anna, later on, we see Luke doing this. He does this often throughout his gospel, and I'm not going to take time to go through each one of these illustrations, but he often talks about how the gospel's for men and for women, and how God has given it to all types of people, and men and women, he's given it to them. So he talks about Simeon, and he also talks about Anna here. But if you notice, back in verse, down in verse 38, it says, And coming up at the very hour, she, Anna, began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So Anna, Simeon, Jesus, Mary, Joseph, all in the arena of God's promises. You and I live in the same arena today. You know, we live under the promises that God has given to us. Every time we see a rainbow, it's a reminder of a promise that God will not uh, flood the entire earth again. But there are other promises that you and I live under, whether you recognize it or not. The Bible says that in 1 John chapter 1, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You live under that promise right this very second. You live under the promise that says that God will never leave you or forsake you. Whether you realize it or not is almost irrelevant at this point. I'm just pointing out the fact that this is a promise. This is the arena of life that you live in. We live in the promise that it says that, that my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God is a providing God. We live under the promise that, um, that for those who love God and are serving God, Romans chapter 8 says that all things will work together for good. That's a, that's a hard promise to believe, Right? Now, one of the things about promises that we need to consider here for a second, though, is that if you're going to depend on God's promise and living in the arena of promises that I am submitting that we are living in, even in this very second, we need to understand that it is a waiting game sometimes. A book I read not too long ago, it was called, the, the, the title of the book is called, um, Is God a Moral Monster? And it talks about the different uh, challenges, uh, particularly in the Old Testament, of things that have happened, genocide, things like that. How could God be a good God and still allow these things to happen? One of the things that I appreciate about the author there, um, uh, his name just escaped me just now, but he, uh, he said this, and I know I've shared it with you multiple times before, is that it's a statement that has just impacted me, and I remind myself of it all the time, and it was this, God is always almost late. Right? You know, when we're living in the arena of God's promises, it sometimes takes a lot longer than we would like, right? This idea that God never leaving us or forsaking us. Sometimes it doesn't feel like that, right? It feels like he has left us and forsaken us. When we're going through a trial, we're going through a difficult time, it feels like that God is not going to work this together for good. And we look at something, we say, how in the world can you do this? How in the world could you take something so horrendous and so bad and use it for good? And that's why this is a life of faith. But God is not someone that just says, okay, I want you just to blindly follow me. I'm not going to give you any reason to hope in my promises. This Christmas story is exhibit A in why we should believe God's promises. He sent the Son into the world with one purpose, to die. To die a death that he did not deserve. 
Whenever I celebrate the Christmas season, I've often said it's my favorite time of the year because it is. There's so much joy and celebration and things like that. But there's always a twinge in my heart knowing where this story goes. But it goes to a very horrific death. But Paul makes the point in one of his letters, if God was not willing to withhold that from his son, then why would we think that he doesn't truly have our good in mind? If he was willing, in other words, if he was willing to allow his son, and even from the foundations of the earth, and this was the Trinitarian plan before the foundations of the earth, for Jesus to die this horrific death, this unjust death, this injustice that was served, and he was going to experience that, then rise from the dead, so that you and I could have forgiveness of sins. If he was willing to say, this is the plan, and I'm going to experience this, and I'm going to go through this, and I'm going to push my family through this, if he was willing to do that because he knew the outcome of it, and that he would be in control of it, then surely whatever circumstance you find yourself in, you can know that God truly is good. And so when you're the next time you're in a situation and some of you are walking through it right now and you're walking through this situation right now where you're trying to figure out, God, I cannot see how anything good is going to come from this. I wonder if Mary thought that sometimes. I wonder if Mary thought sometimes of like, how, how is this gonna work out? Think about Joseph for a second here. Last week we talked about when Jesus was 12 years old, he had this experience in the temple, right? Okay, and he had this time in the temple where he left his family and they were traveling back out of Jerusalem and he was left behind. And then, you know, the family comes back and finds him and Mary and Joseph are worried about him and they find him in the temple, teaching in the temple at 12 years old. Do you realize that that is the last time we, we hear of Joseph at all? We have, no other, we have no other data about Joseph after Jesus' 12th uh, year on this earth. And the reason most people understand it to be, and there's only one that really makes sense, is that he died. That Joseph died young. He died before Jesus' earthly ministry. And so... That's why any reference to Jesus and Jesus' parents after this, it's always his mother. Even at the cross, it's only his mother. Joseph is not present. And it's not because Joseph didn't have faith and walked away, because the Bible is not shy about pointing out the failures of its heroes. And so what happens is, is the, the only conclusion we can come to is that Joseph is dead. So what does this mean? That means Joseph died without seeing the exaltation of his son. But he understands today. He understands today the significance of what had happened there. And so sometimes in this waiting, this idea of, of, of waiting for God's promises in this arena in which we live, it is difficult and it is tough and it is hard. And I am not going to stand here and pretend that it's easy. I am not going to be a preacher who stands in front of you and says, listen, if you follow Christ, all your problems are gone. That is just not true. But what is true is now you have a framework in which to work through and see a purpose in your problems. 
Other than that, without Christ, then why do you go through life's difficulty? Is it just bad karma? Is it just because you got a, the short stick in life? Is it terrible? Is it bad? That seems so hopeless to me. But if I look at the scriptures and I see what the scriptures say and I see what the Bible says and that God has promised that if I love him and I follow him, everything that happens to me, he is going to use for his glory and my good, then whatever happens to me, as difficult as it is and as tiring as it is and as hopeless as it may seem, I can run back to God and I can say, God, you are going to work something for good because I look back to that man and I see a baby born and I know that baby's going to grow and die and it's going to fulfill a promise. So today, you and me, whether you recognize or not, we are living in the promise, in the arena of God's promises. And so what I would encourage you to do, I would encourage you this week, go back and look at some of those promises. Recognize what you're living in. Recognize what it is and cling to that and understand that God is a God, according to Titus, who cannot lie. He can't do it. Cannot do it. I told you there's two points. First one is that we are living in the arena of God's promises. The second one is this, that God's promises are much more significant than we realize, or we do not yet realize the significance of God's promises. He said, no, wait a minute here. I know how this book ends. I, I've read the book. I know at the end, I mean, there's streets of gold, of a river of life. There seems to be a lot of food in heaven. Looking forward to that, okay? It seems to be that there's no sin, there's no sorrow, that the, the tears get wiped away, you know, Revelation chapter 21. And so you say, no, wait a minute. I've seen how this plays out. I've read the book. So I think I've got a good understanding of the significance of God's promises. Well, I want you to draw our attention back to the text here. Back in Luke chapter 2, we see um, that uh, uh, in verse uh, 28, Simeon takes the child to Jesus in his arms. He blessed God. And he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Now look at verse 33. And his father, this is, okay, talking about Mary and Joseph here. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Think about that for a second. Uh, we, we, we saw, you know, kind of, we were reminded of the children here when they did this, of, you know, Gabriel and, um, you know, Gabriel Schultz. You didn't know that uh, Gabriel's, angel Gabriel's last name was Schultz, I bet. But um, the angel here, he, he, he talked about how he, he, he uh, gave the message to Mary, right? Now, and then there was an angelic visit to Joseph. So let me ask this, why, why were they so surprised? at this. I mean, we're, not a lot of time has gone by here. So it's not like they, they kind of forgot something here. What was it that Simeon said that caused Mary and Joseph to stop and say, I didn't realize the significance of what was promised to us? i tell you what it was. It was in verse 31. It says that you have prepared in the presence of all people, verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. 
You see, the promise of the Messiah was always about Israel. The promise of the Messiah was about Israel coming. Now, you can go back to Isaiah and you can see how there should have been an, a, a Gentile understanding, uh, a universal uh, implication, understanding of the gospel and the messianic mission. And I would agree with that, that from the beginning it was there. But as people were teaching it during this time, the focus was only on Israel. And so the people of this day, they only talked about Israel and what was going to happen because of the Messiah. So when Mary and Joseph, they hear Simeon and they see him picking their child up and praying over him and says, this will be a light for revelation for the Gentiles. They look at each other and they're amazed that the promise of God that is bound up in this baby was for the entire world, not just for those small group of people. They were amazed at that. I say that we don't fully yet understand the significance of God's promises, and that comes in two different ways. One of that is in terms of how great the blessing is. I don't think we fully understand how good God's promises truly are to us. And I don't think we're really going to understand that until eternity, if I'm going to be quite frank with you. Someone asked me one time, and it was, I was meeting with a, a dear uh, senior citizen, uh, Towards the end of her life, we were having a conversation that often pastors have with someone when the time of their departure is obviously coming close. And we were talking about heaven, and we were talking about the idea of heaven, and we were talking about uh, what heaven would be like. And I'll never forget, she asked me this question, and she said, do you think we will be able to remember what happened on this earth in heaven? Now, I can't give you a 100% answer on that. I can't say dogmatically 100% sure that it, that will happen. But I suspect, based on a couple passages, but I suspect Hebrews uh, 11 uh, being one of them, 11 and 12, I suspect that we are going to remember things that happen on this earth. And here's the main reason why. Because we are going to see how God was working in our life and in and around us that we were completely oblivious to. The Bible says angels are around us right now. There are so many things that are happening in this world that we just are completely ignorant of. But in eternity, I believe that we're going to see it unfolded over and over again of all those times where we walked through this trial and here's how it affected that person and we never even knew it. That God used the situation to encourage this person over here. And this person over here, their faith was encouraged because of something that you were walking through and a difficult thing. And you had no idea that that was God was using that over there. Now, the reason why I think that we're going to have those blinders taken off in heaven is because a couple passages, one in 1 Corinthians, but also this idea of that will give us a platform of worship of God for all eternity. I mean, we're going to say, I can't believe you did this. I can't believe you orchestrated this. I can't believe that this is how you were doing this. And this was amazing that you did this. And this will be the reason why we will have no sorrow in heaven, even when we look back on the most difficult days of our time on earth. Because we will see God being faithful to his promise. So it's much more significant than we realize. I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I put the verse on the screen, it says this, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Think about the significance of that verse. We have some data given to us in the Bible about what to expect, right? We don't even have the first clue according to this verse. 
You see, God is a God of promises, and the whole reason why these people in our story today in Jerusalem is they were clinging to the promise of God that they needed forgiveness, they needed purification, they needed acceptance. And you and I have the same needs today. We need purification from our sins, and we need acceptance before God, and we need forgiveness for our sins, and it is wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. But I said a second ago that there were two aspects to this idea of not understanding the significance of God's promises. The first one is good to think about. It's greater than we can imagine. Here's the second part, and then I'll close with this. God's promises force each one of us into a moral decision. Look at the text. Simeon, verse 34, says, He blessed them and said to his mother Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts for many hearts may be revealed. You see, this Christmas story, what was going on here, this idea of being in the arena of God's promises and the idea of being much more significant than Mary and Joseph first thought, Simeon, the prophet, was careful to stop them and say, what is happening here is going to cause the rise and the fall of many in Israel. And not just in Israel, in the whole world. Our rising is tied to the person of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 It says this, it says, but God, in verse 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved, and, verse 6, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places, so that in the coming ages he might show Reveal. This is another reason why I think in eternity we're going to find out more what happened. Would reveal the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. And so this idea of the significance of God's promises. Not only is it going to be better than what we can imagine. But unfortunately it also forces every person into a moral decision about Jesus Christ. Because our hope of eternity rests solely on what we do with Jesus. And maybe somebody say, well, I, I don't really care about that. I mean, that's not my deal. Okay, well, that's your choice, I suppose. But the reality is, is that's not the rules you can play by. You say, well, I don't want to play by those rules. I get that. I don't always want to play by the rules of the Bible either. Okay, I'm a pastor, and sometimes I don't want to play by these rules. But I don't really have a choice. It's kind of like, you know, I'm playing football or I'm playing basketball, let's say. I'm playing basketball. And, uh, you know, maybe I'm playing with some of the guys in church, some teenage guys in church or whatever. And uh, because of my athleticism is not in its most optimal peak performance as of this moment, okay, shocking, I know, um, I think, man, I want to get, I want to, get to the, the hoop fast. And so I got the ball, and I tuck the ball under my arm, and I just run. And these little junior high boys, man, they're light. I'm a wall, okay? 
And man, they, they come, and I'm, and I'm stiff-arming them, and you know, seventh grade boy against this wall, you know, eighth graders thinking he's big stuff against this wall, and then I get over there, and I stop running, and I put the ball in the hoop, and I turn around, and I say, two points my team. Well, what are they going to say? They're going to say, well, number one, you're insane, but number two, they're going to say, that's against the rules. I say, wait a minute here, you can do it in football, right? Now, I've played basketball with Ryan English once. He plays basketball like it's football, okay? All right, where's Ryan? Is Ryan here? Where's Ryan? Am I right? Okay, all right, I'm not making this up, all right? All right? Um, and then, you know, I had a cousin growing up. He, he was a big hockey player, and I played to him in basketball. And he was body-checking me, like, you know, crossing all this. My point is this. We can't, we can't change the rules. Whether we like it or not, this is, this is, this is the game we're in. I had, no, I had no way of choosing when I was born, where I was born, who I was born. A lot of things, I just live life because it's where I've been placed. And we've got to ask ourselves, what brought us here and how are we here? And so for me, I, I just look at it and say, look, I can either buck against the rules and I can say that this is something I just don't want to do, or I can just say, I'm going to follow the rules. Because if I follow the rules... I'm going to understand the significance of God's promises much better. But the problem is, we're talking about God's promises. We have to know that the truthfulness of God cuts both ways. There's tremendous freedom and tremendous love and tremendous forgiveness. But then there's also judgment. Because God would not be a holy God if there's no judgment of sin. And his mercy says, you don't have to go through this. My son will pay for it. But if we reject that, then what has God left to do? Just like sin entered the world in the garden, that's what we're dealing with. And so this Christmas season, as we've looked at this this Jerusalem, we've seen the promises of God. Let me encourage you to remember that you're living in the arena of God's promises, whether you recognize it or not. And let me, recognize, let, me, let me encourage you to recognize that they are much more significant than you realize and than what I realize right now. So let me give you three sermon assignments. You can put them up on the screen. You can put them all up there. Um, and I'm just going to read through these quickly. These are things that often I give that you can think through through the week. And uh, when your small group meets, maybe discuss these things. Let me just talk through it real quickly here. Let me encourage you to think through a couple or think of a couple of God's promises that you're living under, that, under right now and thank God for them each day this week. And think about the significance of it. So, for instance, God has promised to hear us when we pray, right? And if, as long as we're not regarding iniquity in our heart, like Psalm 66 says, that we have this assurance that God will hear us when we cry out to him. And so then the reality is if he's promised to hear us when we talk to him, that must mean he wants us to talk to him. Or God has promised to preserve his word for us, right? So if it's so important for God to preserve his word so that you and, and your children and your children's children can have a copy of the scriptures, if it's so important that you have this, then it must mean that he wants you to know what's in it, right? Okay, so think through a couple of the promises and, and, and think about that and think about how it relates to your everyday life and, and how it can influence you. And then thank God for them. Let me encourage you to print out, secondly, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. I'll read it again. But as is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Let me encourage you to print that out. 
tape it on your mirror, in your bathroom or something, put it on your phone or something, put a reminder to meditate on that. Just think through the significance of that statement. And think through how often we shortchange God. Okay? And then I want you to interact with a statement. This would be helpful with someone else, but internally you can do it as well. One of the most difficult promises to believe about God is that he's absolutely good. I have a hard time with that one. And I think most of the times the lapse in faith that we have is because we actually doubt this. Is God absolutely good? See, those are the questions we've got to wrestle with. And we've got to see that, hey, the Bible says that he is good. James chapter 2 talks about how every good thing comes from God. He is absolutely good. But when I'm struggling in my faith, when I'm wondering if God has forgotten me, and I'm, the only thing I can see is the trial in front of me, that's the one I'm doubting. That or his sovereignty. So think about that. That's one of the most difficult promises to believe about God. And then ask God to help you to believe that. Do you realize it's not wrong to ask God, say, show me you're good. I know I should believe it. And I'm sorry I'm not. But show me you're good. I hope it's not wrong to pray that because I pray that way all the time. Show me that, that I can trust you. And I know I should. I know I can trust you. I know by based on your word, but right now, God, I am doubting. Right now, I am weak. And right now, I don't feel like I can trust you. And I'm so sorry, but please remind me that I can trust you. Those are my prayers. Let me encourage you to pray the same way. Just be honest with God. Jerusalem, place of God's promises. The gospel is for the promised. And the good news is that you are living in the arena of God's promises. Let's pray. Father, I pray that today is a day that people believe in you and trust in you. And I pray that our hearts are moved to worship you and we're reminded how good you are and how great you are. Lord, just as I I was transparent with my friends here just a minute ago, we do often... uh, we do often lack trust in you. And Father, I pray, I pray that you'd forgive us for that. And Lord, I pray that we would trust you. Lord, there are families in our church right now that are walking through very difficult, trying circumstances. And I just want to pray, God, that your goodness would be obvious to them. Help us to love them and support them. And may they know that you will truly never leave them and forsake or forsake them. And I pray the significance of those promises. I pray that they would be made obvious and real to us. Father, I know that whenever, you've heard me say this a number of times in my prayers here, but whenever there's a crowd this size, there are people here who don't know you. And I pray that today would be the day where they believe in you and trust in you. It's only the promises of your word that is going to give hope. I can't give hope. I wish I could. I told someone in this congregation who I love very much just not too long ago, uh, I wish I could snap my fingers and everything you're going through is gone. I can't. But we can only trust you and your promise that you are using all things for your good, for our good and your glory. Give us faith to believe that. In Christ's name we do pray.